Would you turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9? And, uh, you know, Christmas morning, uh, we all have our traditions, don't we, at this time? Some folks, maybe your tradition is Christmas Eve or Christmas Eve day. Maybe some of you, it's Christmas day evening, you know, whatever it might be. We all have our own traditions and and that's what makes Christmas, you know, so special, a special time of year. I, I think for me personally, what makes Christmas uh, even that much more of a special time of year is kids. I mean, if you didn't have kids around, Christmas, I think, could be just another day. But when you have kids around, you know, there's kind of that excitement of all the food and the presence and everything else. I, I think, you know, children really add spice to life. Could you imagine a world without kids? Man, it would be dreary. It would, it would be very dreary. I, I think uh, kids, you know, I, um, we had our five children and we have our 15 grandchildren. And I'll tell you, I just thrive when I'm around my grandchildren. It really is. It is like a wellspring of, of life to be around my grandkids. And uh, all of them together or, you know, a few of them at a time. I, I, but I'll tell you what's wonderful about children is that they're always asking why. Doesn't that, you know. And sometimes as parents or grandparents, you know, as adults, you know, sometimes we can get frustrated and just say, because... That's why, you know, because. But, but most of the time, you know, we want to help them. We want to answer their whys. And that's what a loving parent would do. That's what a loving adult would do. Why? 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 Why do we celebrate Christmas? <laughs> why is it called Christmas? Why did Jesus come? Why was he born? Who is he? Why does this matter? Why, why would something that happened 2,000 years ago mattered to me today. Why? Why? I think Christmas has a lot of whys attached to it. I mean, you just look at your nativity scene if you have one, and you could ask all sorts of questions. Why are there three kings? The Bible doesn't say there were three kings. Why are there three? Why are they there at the manger? The Bible tells us that they didn't come until Jesus was about two years old. There's a lot of whys that are attached, and, and the fact of the matter is, is if we would simply do our due diligence and go to the scriptures to get those whys answered, we would find that, that many of those whys are immediately answered. In chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. As when at first he, the he there is the Lord, lightly esteemed the land of Zeblin, the land of Nephetali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You... The Lord, you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you 
according to the joy of harvest. That would be a great time, you know, for agrarian people. When harvest came, that's when they would celebrate. That's when they would really party after the harvest came in. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. That would be another time they would rejoice. For you, again, speaking of the Lord, have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. Remember the day of Midian was the day of Gideon. Do you remember that story? Just read the scriptures and I'll guarantee you, you'll be bouncing all over the place. For scripture is constantly confirming itself. Verse 5 says, For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and the garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel for fire. And you might be saying, I thought this was Christmas. I thought this was supposed to be a Christmas message. Where's the, the cheer? Where's the joy? You know, guys, this is Bible prophecy. I like to point that out because sometimes people are so leery of Bible prophecy. I don't want, I'm not interested in prophecy. Then you're not interested in the Bible because the Bible is Bible prophecy. And with much of Bible prophecy, as you study it, we see that it, it, it runs in a parallel. You'll have one account, and of course, as historically what was happening at this time is that the northern part of Israel, so Nephetelai, Zeblin, the northern part of Israel was under occupation. It had become an Assyrian province. Uh, that happened because of their sin. They had turned from the true and living God. They turned to these foreign gods and idols and all that came with that. And so the Assyrians came in, just as the Babylonians came into the south of Israel, Judah, to discipline them. By the way, Guys, here's another why. Why was there so much animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans? Where did the Samaritans come from? The Samaritans came from this Assyrian occupation of the northern part of Israel. By the way, if you know the scriptures, you know, well, this part of Israel is important because this is the part of Israel where Mary and Joseph were from, Nazareth, the north. This is significant. This is, as Isaiah speaks, in Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness. We have a parallel prophecy happening here. We have the doom and the gloom. It will be lifted. God is gracious. God is compassionate. God forgives. But then you have this dual promise, prophecy, of the coming of Jesus Christ. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But I want us to look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 for a moment. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Jesus, the New Testament tells us, Jesus is the source of life, and he is the light of men. That's what the scripture tells us. John tells us in his gospel account, he says, In him, speaking of Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The word comprehend literally means to take eagerly, to seize, or to possess. In other words, darkness was unable to overpower light. That's true. 
That's true in the natural realm, and that's true in the spiritual realm. When there's light, darkness must flee. They cannot coexist. Now, of course, when you look at this, those who walk in darkness, maybe you initially, like me, think of the shepherds. We know we're looking at Christmas, so we think of the shepherds. In Luke's gospel, it says, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. That would be darkness. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. So that's darkness. And then the Lord shone around them, that light. But I don't think that's the darkness that the Lord was referring to here in Isaiah chapter 9. I think the darkness that the Lord was referring to in Isaiah chapter 9 is what Paul wrote about. For you were once darkness. See, not just in darkness, but once darkness itself. But now, speaking to believers, those who have placed their faith in Christ, but now you are light in the Lord, and then you have the exhortation from Paul, walk as children of light. I'll tell you, I think of the years wasted when I was walking in darkness trying to find light. Raised in a, you know, religious home, uh, but I was in darkness. (laughs) It was inescapable because the darkness was within me. And I sought for light in so many places. And as a young, young teenager, you know, even preteen, began to dabble into other things and look at other things and, you know, transcendental meditation, Maharishi Yogi, yes, there's light. I'll find light in him. He's the light bearer. There was no light. Krishna, Krishna, he has light. I'll find light in Krishna. There's no light in him. Maybe some of of you can identify with this. You're looking for light in all the wrong places, and and yet your trail just comes to a dead end, and you realize there's no light there. There's no hope. It's not what I'm looking for, you know. I was thinking... I don't know why I was thinking about it this morning. I'm an old guy, so I, I kind of reflect upon my youth quite a bit the older I get. But I was thinking of a term that we used to use in my day when I was a young man, a young teenager type of guy, was we would say, we need to go find ourselves." In fact, I remember my dad telling me, man, you got to get out of the house. you got to go find yourself. And usually what that meant was, If you had a car, you had gas to put in the car, you'd go someplace. You'd take a road trip. If you didn't have a car back then, you'd stick your thumb out and you'd go find yourself. And many people who were of that generation went out trying to find themselves and what they found was darkness, just more darkness and gloom. And it left many people feeling hopeless. But I'll tell you, Jesus came. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? Who is he? Remember all the questions that a child asks? I think that too many adults stop asking the whys. If, if you're an adult and you're still asking the whys, I'm pretty sure that you're going to come to faith in Christ if you haven't already. 
Because the wise, if you're truly a diligent seeker, you know, your wise will be answered in Christ. Mine were, many of ours were. Now it goes on and it describes Jesus. Verse 6, of course, this is that famous text. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called. And then we'll go through that in just a moment. First of all, I want you to note that it says, For unto us a child is born. What does this speak of? Well, this speaks of his incarnation. You know, guys, many people don't understand. I mean, Jesus, he didn't begin when he was born in Bethlehem. Jesus is the eternal God. Jesus, that was his incarnation. That's when he came into the earth. Many scriptures declare that. Many scriptures answer that question. Many scriptures make that clear. In Luke chapter 2, verse 11, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Speaks of his incarnation. Unto us the Son is given. This speaks of his deity. Well, one scripture that comes to mind immediately for me is that scripture that most of us know is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave unto us the Son is given. For he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should have everlasting life. What a wonderful promise that is. But it speaks of the Father giving the Son. Unto us a Son has been given. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We just sang it. You know, many of our worship songs, even the Christmas carols and Christmas songs that we sing, there's a message, guys. Do you understand that? There's a message from beginning to end in our church services. It's with a purpose. There's a message to be heard. There's a message to be spoken. And those who have ears to hear will hear it and enjoy it. In Micah, another prophet, he speaks of the Lord's authority. And this is what he says. This is only part of a verse. He says, whose going forth was from of old, from everlasting. The point is, is that his birth was not his beginning. His birth was his incarnation. It says that the government will be upon his shoulder. And again, Isaiah chapter uh, 9, verse 7, of, his, of the increase or the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now, I have a why there. I have a question here. Because we look around the world and we say, is there peace has there ever really been peace? And I'll tell you, there's peace for those who have personally placed their faith in the Lord. It's a personal peace that we receive. It's a peace that surpasses human understanding, surpasses the circumstances of life. But the peace on earth, the government of Christ, have we seen it? No, we haven't seen it. In fact, Isaiah, again, prophecy, Isaiah chapter 11 goes on to describe the peace of his reign when he will reign upon the earth for a thousand years, a millennial kingdom. And that's when we'll see the peace that was promised here in Isaiah chapter 9 and spoken of in greater detail in Isaiah chapter 11. And then we have his name. 
Now, his name is important, guys. For us, you know, names don't seem as significant or as important as they do, biblically speaking. You know, we, many times we'll read in the scripture uh, things referring to his name. When it speaks of his name, it speaks of his character, his nature, who he is. Now, if I was to say, listen, I'm going to tell you about a Daniel today. You might be thinking, well, what Daniel? Are you going to speak of the Daniel of the Bible? The Daniel who's sitting next to me? You're a Daniel? Are you going to speak of yourself? Who are you going to speak of today? But if I was to say, I'm going to speak to you today of Daniel Renner, then all of a sudden it narrows down. And you say, okay, well, we know something about that guy, you know. Do we have to sit through more of his, <laughs> you know. So Jesus, his name, his name is wonderful. Wonderful. Do you know what that means? It means miracle. He's a miracle. His incarnation is a miracle. People, they say, a virgin conceiving a child, come on. Do you really believe in such things? Come on. Many of you believe in the wackiest things. We've just bought a bill of lies over the past three years concerning a lot of things, and we continue to buy those lies without even asking a question, why? So lies are everywhere. But the scripture declares a miracle. And his name is counselor. It literally means to deliberate or to resolve. I like that. Jesus has become, for those who have placed their faith in him, our advocate, according to 1 John chapter 2. Oh, listen to this. His name is also Mighty God. Now, this is where it, it, it's amazing how there are some, even who attend churches on a regular basis, who are confused and stumbled when you say that Jesus is God. Jesus is God? I thought he was a good man. I thought he was a great man. I thought he was a great teacher and miracle worker. In it. But God, you need to go back to the scriptures with your why. Why would you say he's God? Well, the scriptures declared that he's God. Let me give you just one example. In Hebrews 1.8, the opening of Hebrews. Do you know what the book of Hebrews is about? The book of Hebrews is written in this way. Jesus is better than that's how the book of Hebrews is laid out. He's better than the angels. He's better than Abraham. He's better than the you know matri- uh, patriarchs. He's he's better than he's better. He's better. He's better. That's what the book of Hebrews is laid out. But it says this in the very opening of the book of Hebrews. It says, "But to the Son, He says, this is what He says to the Son: Your throne, O God." is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. He is God. He is God. Well, look at the next one. His name is Everlasting Father. You say, now I'm really confused. Everlasting Father? Yes, listen, God is one. God is one, though he's manifested, he exists In three persons. So the Messiah is God. Now if you're a diligent seeker. And you've asked these questions. And why is this important. That the Listen if the Messiah was just a man. 
It's sad that many of the Jews today, because they rejected Christ at his first coming, they're waiting for the Messiah to come. And some of them believe, have you been watching? Some of them have come to the conclusion that Messiah is here now. And they have this young fellow in his early 30s and a great Jewish, Orthodox Jewish teacher among them now. And they're giving him credit for uh, opening the eyes of the blind and doing different miracles. And yet Jesus told us that there would be many who would come in his name and they would claim to be the Messiah. Well, I'll come back to that at another time. His name is Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. In John's Gospel it says, And these were the words of Jesus. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. And we could say amen to that. It's everywhere. Tribulation. Trouble. That's what the word means. Tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Man, I'll tell you, if if there's one thing that each one of us needs is we need peace in these troubling worlds days in which we live. I hope that you have the peace of Christ that surpasses human understanding. I hope that you've placed your faith in him. I hope you're trusting in him. And then it goes on, the prophecy goes on, and it says in verse 7, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. Guys, I'll tell you, if you're asking the wise and you're going to the scriptures to get answers to your wise, I'll tell you, it just it's, it just explodes. I mean, as far as your your knowledge and your appreciation for the Word of God, Jesus is the promise son of David. I mean, when you look at this whole thing, you know, David. As far as the Old Testament is concerned, most of us would say David is our hero. David, the psalmist, the king, the prophet according to the book of Acts. David, the warrior. David, the example. David, the standard of Israel. Every king after David was measured by David. 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 The murderer. What? David, the adulterer. What? David, the one who messed up really, really bad. And yet he, because he had a heart for God, he had a heart after God, he didn't make excuses for his sin. He repented. He took his lumps. I'll tell you, one of the saddest portions of the Old Testament to me is when you see David after the whole Bathsheba thing and and everything else, man, he messed up so bad. And rather than having there be a civil war in Israel. We see David. He's leaving Jerusalem. His head's covered. The people with him are all weeping. He's barefoot, showing humility as he's making his way out of Jerusalem. I'd rather walk than fight. I'm not going to fight against my own son. My own son is raised up against me because of my sin. I brought this upon myself. And the humility of David. And yet... You see God's grace upon David's life. Out of all the wives that David had, polygamous, out of all the wives he had, out of all the children he had, and boy did he have tribulation in his home because of all the wives and all the children. But the Lord gave the throne 
to Bathsheba's son. Isn't that amazing? Not the one, the first one, of course, that baby died. You know the account of that. But a second son born to Bathsheba and David. And the promise is given. David wants to build a house for the Lord. And the Lord says, David, you can't. You're a man of blood, man. You're, you, have, you can't do it. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to build you a house. Don't you love that when the Lord, you see it in the scripture? I'm going to build you a house. And I'm going to put your son upon the throne. And if you're not a careful reader of the scripture, you'll say, Solomon, he's the fulfillment. No, he was the near fulfillment of that prophecy. Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy, of that promise given to David. Jesus is. His throne is eternal. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Guys, listen, I'm almost done here. But the us was not us. Do you understand this? We need to humble out, Gentile believers. Because so often we think everything revolves around us. But it didn't begin with us. It will not end with us. The us was Israel. Unto us, Israel, a son, a child is born, a son is given. And how did Israel respond as a nation? Now, don't get me wrong, guys. The early church was made up of all Jews. When it first was birthed on the day of Pentecost, there was not a Gentile in the mix. The Gentiles did not start receiving Christ until later on in the book of Acts. We see the same kind of Pentecost experience happening at, at Cornelius's house. They were all Gentiles there. He was a God-fearing Gentile. And then we see the gospel going out to Gentiles. But the scripture is clear to the Jew first and then to the Greek or to the Gentile. It started with them. The Messiah was given to them. The Son was given to them. The Son was the promise, promise to them. And how did they respond? Well, they responded as a nation, as a whole, in this way. No thanks, we're not interested in him. I wish it was, they were that polite. They weren't. <laughs> John's gospel, John tells us that he, Jesus, came to his own. His own would be Israel. And his own did not receive him. This is the fact of the matter. You say, oh, the Jews, they really messed up. They really messed up. But God's not done with the Jews. Read the scriptures. There is a time when the Jews are going to look upon Jesus at his second coming, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for their only, what? Son. He's our son. He was given to us. We rejected him. And that Zechariah text I'm referring to, it's amazing because it speaks of king will mourn. It speaks of prophet will mourn. It speaks of priest will mourn. And it speaks of scoffers. It's, remember the fellow as David was leaving Jerusalem with his head covered and his feet bare as he was making his way out and that fellow came out and he started cursing David and calling him a dead dog and throwing stones at him. Remember that whole thing? He's mentioned in that Zechariah text. Even the scoffer, even the mocker among Israel. 
will acknowledge him. So it didn't begin with us. It's not going to end with us. The Lord's going to take his church home, I believe, very soon. And then his focus is going to be on Israel once again. And they've got some difficult times ahead of them. So here's kind of the whole wrap-up of this. Christmas. Why did he come? I love the picture that was used in one of the songs. When you have the the manger, you have the feeding trough where Jesus was laid in the the feeding trough because there was no place to lay him. And and in the background, you see the three crosses. And for some, you might say, oh, that's so offensive. I, I don't like those type of images. Well, if you don't understand that that was the purpose for his coming, you don't understand and you'll never appreciate Christmas. But see, when we understand that the cross was surely in the shadow, it was in the, you know, I mean, Jesus is, according to the book of Revelation, Jesus is the lamb who was slain before the creation, before the foundations of the earth. Think of that. It was not an afterthought. This is something that God had set in motion before he created the earth. But the fruit of his birth, the fruit of his death, the fruit of his resurrection and his ascension. Not one of these. Listen, it's not just his birth. People want to stop with the birth because we like baby Jesus. He's so, you know, who could be intimidated by a baby? Well, sometimes, you know, they could be scary when they <laughs> cry and they don't stop. But, but who could be intimidated? We, we want to keep Jesus a little baby. We like that tradition. But of course, he didn't stay a baby. He grew up. He lived. He spoke. He taught. He fulfilled Bible prophecy, things pertaining to him and his first coming. He died, just as it was prophesied. Daniel prophesied it uh, 700 years before it happened. Messiah shall be cut off. And the very term he used speaks of crucifixion when they weren't crucifying people. How would he know? Of course, Daniel didn't know. He was just given this information from God. His resurrection. If there was just a death and no resurrection, then Jesus would fall into the same category of many others. Buddha, Krishna, any of the others. His resurrection. And then his ascension into heaven. Do you remember what was said when Jesus ascended into heaven? And they were there, the disciples, and they watched him go up into the air. Apparently, he went up slowly. That one must have been dramatic. Slowly, he's rising, rising, rising. And remember what was said to them? The angel said, Men, why do you look into the sky? Why do you gaze up into the sky? He's like, you know, hey, guys, 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 can I have your attention? Down here, down here, he's gone. He's ascended into heaven just as he said he would do. Come, 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 give me your attention. The same Jesus, not a reincarnation. The same Jesus who ascended will descend in like manner. By the way, this is Bible prophecy. Oh, I don't like Bible prophecy. Oh, you're missing out if you don't like Bible prophecy. Where were they when Jesus ascended into heaven? The Mount of Olives. Where does the Bible say that Jesus will descend to the earth? On the Mount of Olives. He will step on the Mount of Olives. And there shall be a valley that's created. 
Right now there's the Kidron Valley from the Mount of Olives and the Temple Mount. But as he steps on the, on the uh, Mount of Olives, there will be another valley that cuts across right to the eastern gate of the old city of Jerusalem. And he'll make his entrance into the old city of Jerusalem. Wow, wow. See, it doesn't end with the birth. It doesn't end with the nativity scene. All of that is important. We celebrate it. We look at that in awe and wonder. We, we, we seek the questions, the answers, you know, why, why, why? And for the diligent seeker, their, their questions are answered. But because of these things, his birth, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, because of these things, because of all of these things, the offer of salvation is made possible to all. I mean, guys, this is the greatest, this is the, the greatest promise. This is the greatest offering. I mean, we value things that are perishing. We value things of the world as if they're going to last forever, and yet they're going to perish. And many times they do perish. If you're old enough, you're watching things perish, you know. I don't know what happened to that. It was good the last time I used it, you know. It's rotten now. Have you accepted his offer of salvation? If no, I have a question for you. Why? Why? Why wouldn't you? I know that for many of us, you know, we got to find our own way. we got to find ourselves, going back to the 70s. You won't like what you find if you ever find yourself. I know for many of us, we got to, you know, kind of seek the answers for ourselves. But I'm telling you, look into Jesus, because he is the answer. When I... When I began looking into all these other, you know, philosophies and isms, I knew about Jesus. I knew about the birth. I knew about the cross. I knew why he died on the cross. I I didn't believe it for myself necessarily within the religious system that I was in. You know, it was like as long as I keep the sacraments, as long as I go to confession on Saturday night, you know, as long as I've been baptized as a baby or whatever, those are the things I was trusting in because those are the things I was taught to trust in. But I knew of Jesus. It wasn't like he was a, a mystery or a big question mark for me. And it was only after I sought these other things and realized that they were empty, that they had nothing, that these were men promising light and there was no light in them. And at the same time, the Lord was so faithful to have his people. Jesus freaks, we called them. I wish there were more Jesus freaks today. The world needs Jesus freaks. He said, that's offensive. Well, I guess it would be. The time frame. Everyone was a freak in the 70s. It's just what you were a freak of. You know? and the ones that were turned on to Jesus, they were the ones who were referred to as Jesus freaks because it was all about Jesus. But I'm so glad that there were people who would come and say to me, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven or hell? And then they would share the gospel with me. And I would say in my pride, oh, I know about Jesus. I'm religious. I grew up Roman Catholic. I know about Jesus. 
And they would just kind of go right over that and say, I didn't ask you if you're religious. I didn't ask you what your religious background was. You must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. Well, how does that happen? Well, it can't happen with you. You need to believe and receive Christ. You believe and receive Christ, and he will make you into a new creature. He will place his spirit within you. Well, that's weird, you know. But I'll tell you, after I heard it over and over and over again, I wish I could say, yes, after the second time I heard it. For me, it was probably after the 30th time I heard it. Uh, The last time I heard it, you know, was my wife sharing with me in in written form because she realized talking to me was like talking to the wall at that time when it came to Christ, you know, and she had the gospel written out on this paper. I think she got it at a Christian bookstore, and, and I read that, and I was so furious at her. And she was just loving me. She was just saying, you know what, Danny, I want you to have what I have. I want you to enter into the relationship that I've entered into with the Lord. I want you to to enjoy the peace that surpasses human understanding that comes only through Jesus. I want you, Danny, to have Jesus. Have you accepted him? Have you accepted his offer? The offer of salvation is extended to all. You guys come on up for the last song, please. Is extended to all. But each one must believe. Each one must receive him personally. Have you accepted his offer? Listen to this verse. I'm going to end with this. But as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. There's that name again who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh. You say, well, my parents were godly parents. That's wonderful. You were blessed to be born into a family where there was a godly example. But are you born again? Are you saved? Have you placed your faith in Christ? Have you received Christ? Your parents' salvation cannot save you. That might be offensive to some. I don't care. We're at the end of the road, guys. It's time to wake up to the fact that it's you. And the Lord. Seek him. And you'll be found. He'll be found by you. And you'll find what you're looking for. Nor by the will of the flesh. Nor by the will of man. But of God. Receive him today. As your Lord and Savior. Believe in him with all your heart. Because I'll tell you. Another bit of Bible prophecy is he said, I'm coming again. And he told us in his word, in the Old Testament, New Testament, what to look for when he's about to come. And can I tell you, as a student of the Bible, if there's a checklist, there's a check next to the majority of these things that we're supposed to be looking for, watching for. His coming is soon believe in the lord jesus christ receive the greatest gift 
You know, guys, whatever gift you may receive today or you received last night or whenever you're going to celebrate your, your Christmas, you know, the gift giving and all, next year you probably won't even remember it. Next year it might not even be working any longer, you know. But I'll tell you, the gift that is eternal is a gift of salvation. That's because Jesus came in his incarnation, born in Bethlehem. So long ago. Lord, we pray that as we partake of communion, we pray, Father, that if we have received you and believed in you, then we would partake of communion with gratitude in our hearts and that we would say, Lord, thank you. That we might ask the question, Lord, I don't know why we give gifts to each other at Christmas time, but I know that Christmas time was you, Lord, giving the greatest gift to the world, yourself. I mean, it all began there, the incarnation. It began there, the plan, the purpose of salvation, the Lamb of God taking upon himself the sins of the world, dying in our place, taking what we deserve so that we could have what we don't deserve, and that is salvation and mercy and grace and acceptance and love. From you, Lord. Thank you for your gift. We pray, Father, for those of us that know you, that we would be diligent to share the gift that we've received with others. They don't have to accept it. They might not. They might say what the nation of Israel said when Jesus, you came to them. No thanks, not interested. But Lord, we pray that as the days get darker, as the gloom that once hung over the northern a part of Israel was present as it becomes evident in our land. Lord, we pray, we pray, we pray that those that perhaps are hearing today and saying, I refuse to receive him, I refuse to believe in him, that at that time they would look to you because there's no one else to look to. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And then we're going to hand it out. And then um, just hold it, and uh, we'll, we'll partake together, okay? I'll come back up. So hold that. And then just a reminder, because we have these little packages, and a lot of times people get really frustrated, and they end up sinning, trying to open up, no, in their hearts. People get so frustrated about these things. But there's a little top layer. Let me grab one of these. There's like two different... Thanks. So you grab the very top of it, and there's a wafer in there. So take that out first, or you won't get that out, and then you can go to the to the juice. So okay. Mm-hmm.